Pastor Mark, if you'd like to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. It was uh, interesting to hear um, Pastor Mark in the things that he was saying and our brother Brian in his testimony, both talking about questions, questions and answers. And that's uh, they didn't know what I was going to talk about, but that's what I want to have a look at today. And uh, just while you're opening up to Genesis chapter 1, I guess... One of the primary questions that people ask when they don't know the Lord is, why does God, whatever, why does God allow this? Why why doesn't God allow that? It's always, why does God? And I guess the only reason that a person can ask that question is because somewhere deep down inside they believe that there must be a God because nobody asks, why does the Easter Bunny do this or the Tooth Fairy or whatever? It's restricted to God, so they must believe that he exists. And uh, it's important to ask the right questions. It's all right to ask questions, but you really need to ask the right questions. And uh, we want to have a look at a couple of things here. I just just while we're, before we start to look at this part here, we want to look at the consistency of God and the consistency of the truth. And I'd like to pose a question. Imagine if gravity wasn't consistent. It's just an interesting thought, isn't it? If you weren't quite sure when it was and when it wasn't going to work, you know, it would make life very difficult. But this creation that God's put in place, and we're just going to read here in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And, of course, that's one of the great questions of mankind is, is where did it all come from and all this sort of stuff. And you listen to people and they want to talk about evolution, these creatures that just invent themselves and change themselves and take on different forms and shapes and they're able to do it all by themselves certainly takes a lot more faith than it does to believe that God did it than all the people said. It's very, very simple. And so the first question that somebody might ask is answered here on the first page and in the first paragraph of the Bible. But the Bible is a book of questions. I looked up on the internet, so it must be true. And it estimated some 3,000 questions in the Bible, either direct questions by somebody with a question mark at the end of it or an inferred question, or whatever it might be. An estimated 3,000 questions. But far more, the Bible is a book of answers. And that's what we've found out, you and I, everybody that's received the Holy Spirit has found out that truly the Bible is the book of answers. So we're going to have a look at a couple of things here. Just flip over the page. Of course, all of the confusion around asking why does God do this or why doesn't God do that or whatever it has one root cause, and it's called the churches. The churches in the world have invented lies, they've manipulated the word of God, and they've done it for centuries. All the denominations across the world, the, the large churches, we know them all. They're out there with the, the crosses and the stained glass windows, the, the robes of righteousness that they put upon themselves and so on. And they're the ones that have muddied the water, and they're the ones why people have to ask the questions they ask because they look to so-called Christianity, mankind's religion, and it doesn't give them the answers that they're seeking. And here in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 19, probably the first questions that were asked, again, of course, God uh, created everything in the beginning. We don't know when that was, what time frame that was. The first time we're able to get a time frame is when he formed a special man, Adam, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
put him in a garden and started to have a relationship with him. That was around 4,000 years BC or so. And this is probably in verse 19, chapter 2, verse 19. Is it chapter 2 and verse 19? Yep, it says, In the sweat of thy face, no, that's chapter 3, I think, isn't it? Find it here somewhere. There we go. <laughs> when they're loose leaf, they can be the wrong way around. It's dangerous. It's chapter 2 and verse 19. It says, And out of the ground the Lord, for, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And so these were probably the first questions that God brought these things that he was forming from the ground and brought them and had this conversation with Adam about what they would be called. And of course we're told there that that's what they are called. Chapter 3 and verse 1, however, is probably the first real question in the Scriptures. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So he's posed the first question, but he's not actually posing it at the woman. He's actually posing it at God. He's in God's face with this question. And that's generally where mankind is in this day and age now. This is the first question, of course, that was asked. We haven't got time to read the whole story here. If you're listening in for the first time today, perhaps, or if you haven't read your Bible for some time, read on, but we're going to just skip here uh, to verse 9. Actually, we'll read in verse 8. This is Adam and Eve, and it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and he said, Where art thou? Prior to this, he didn't have to hunt around yelling out, Where are you? He knew exactly where he was. He was at his side all the time and, and a wonderful relationship that they must have had. Goes on in verse 10 and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Here comes the next question and he said, Who told you you were naked? Well, you imagine how he must have felt when he heard God saying that to him. Has, hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou should not eat? He asked another question. The man said, The woman who you gave me, gave us to me to be, she gave me and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is it that thou hast done? And of course she blamed the serpent, the blame game that we know so well these days. But these questions here, I think, pretty much sum up mankind in general these days. We know because of this act that all mankind is born into sin. And we'll be able to look a little bit later. There's only one way to escape the loop that everybody is born into. We're all born into sin. We're all born to die. And we all have everlasting destruction unless something happens. And Jesus Christ, of course is the one that has come to do that for us. So we've <clears throat> these three questions, I guess, really do sum up everything that we know about. So between that time and Jesus Christ, as I said before, was around about 4,000 years. And in the main, nearly everybody that God was dealing with, except for, you know, for a few shining examples, everybody disappointed him, questioned him, and rejected what he wanted. And it's no different today. 
It's no different whatsoever today. People please themselves what they do. But Jesus came. We're going to turn over to John chapter 18. It says, but Jesus came, of course, and he came for a number of things. He came to bring the gospel. He came to bring hope, mercy, grace, forgiveness, and everlasting um, everlasting life from God the Father to mankind. That's what he came for. The Son of God, he was sent to do this for us. There's so many questions and heavenly answers in the Gospels and in the New Testament. We haven't got time to look at them all. But as we do, and we certainly encourage you if you're listening today, to be readers of your Bible. Ask the questions, the Scriptures, with the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at in a little while. It's the Holy Spirit that unlocks the Scriptures to mankind. Without the Holy Spirit, it cannot happen. You can read the Bible till the cows come home. You might understand a piece here, and a piece there, but you won't find the truth without the Holy Spirit, as we'll be able to see in a little while. So here in John 18, when I get there myself, I've told you all to go there, but we'll just find my way there. John 18, we're going to start reading in verse uh, 35. So this is Jesus has been taken and he's before Pilate. He's on trial here, which is a joke because he never did anything but good. But he's on trial here, and again, we, most of these things we haven't got a time, haven't got the time here today to look at them in their fullness. But if you're taking notes, certainly read around everything that we're looking at here today. But in verse 35, Pilate answered, "Am I a Jew?" So he asks the question here of Jesus: "Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What has thou done?" He asks another question of Jesus. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that they should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And for Pilate, that would have gone straight to the keeper. If you're an Australian and you know what that means, he would have had no idea about that whatsoever. It just would have gone straight through. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Very important things that Jesus said. Now there's lots that he did say, and everything, every word that came out of his mouth was just truth, and it was unbelievable. Then Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And I guess that's the bottom line for all of us when we're born and we become an adult and we start to question things and wonder what's the meaning of life and all these things. I know in 1981 when I heard, I wasn't actually seeking God. I didn't know that that was the answer. And I was actually seeking Jesus Christ. I didn't know that it was he that came uh, to make this opportunity for us. What I was seeking was the truth. And the truth only comes with proof. The truth can only be established in proof. Like I said before, if gravity didn't work sometimes, we'd be in all sorts of trouble. What if two and two is four one day and 17 the next? We have no idea what would be going on in our lives. It would be so hard. Truth comes with proof, like we heard in the testimonies, and we'll be able to look at those things in just a moment. For time, we're going to just quickly go to Matthew 16. Just a verse or two. Matthew 16. 
So as we said, truth has to be established with proof. So I'm going to look at a couple of things here just for starters. In Matthew 16 and just in verse 21, we're able to read here, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now again, as I say, we haven't got time to look at all everything around that, but Jesus has made this statement before his death and resurrection, he's made this statement to his disciples. And again, there's a fair chance that it went straight to the keeper for them. They had no idea really what he was talking about. Fanciful things, being raised from the dead. How could these things possibly be? Um, where are we here? We're in... Actually, we missed those, didn't we? No, we read those. That's good. All right, Matthew 28. We'll go to Matthew 28. It's the problem. I've got notes. I don't normally have notes. Confusing myself. <laughs> Matthew 28 and verse 5. So this is after Jesus is risen. And it says here, and the angel answered and said unto the women, they came to see Jesus' body, says, Fear ye not, for ye know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. And if we were able to read on, we'd see the joy and the elation in them as they took the news that Jesus had risen from the dead. And, of course, it's a wonderful thing. We're able to see all of these things and so forth as we read them. But how I was in 1981 and perhaps how you are if you're not filled with the Spirit yet and you're listening in here today on the live stream or someone's been talking to you or whatever it might be, that at this stage, that's all well and good. It's a wonderful story, you know, risen from the dead and and the Son of God and all these sorts of things. But as I said before, truth can only be established in proof. And this is one of the problems that the church has made. These big mega churches around the world, many, many centuries, they've introduced these stories that all you need to do is to be a good person. But how do you measure a good person? What is a good person? This is the things that were told unto me. I was told as a youngster that Jesus had risen from the dead and I had no proof. I couldn't prove it. As I go back to two and two is four, if you've got two apples there and your friend's got two apples, you can put them on the table and count them and your two and his two make four and it will every time. We're able to prove these things. If the most essential thing in a person's life is to find the truth and to find salvation for his soul, it only goes to pattern that God would have proof to go with that. So we're going to go to Acts chapter 2. It doesn't matter what Jesus did, really, if you're not able to prove it and avail ourselves of it. But praise the Lord. God is full of compassion, forgiveness and grace and mercy and he sent his son to do this for us. Haven't got time to read many, many scriptures that we'd love to, the things leading up to this event. This event is around 50 days after Jesus' death and his resurrection, several weeks, of course. And there's 120 people Faithful people, many of them had walked with Jesus, many of them had seen the things that he did, but out of all the people, 
that had been in his life in one form or another through those years. There was 120 gathered in an upper room and that's what we're going to read about here. Verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them. Now all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the culmination of why Jesus came and this is the proof that he'd risen again. I'm just going to flip over to verse 29 in the same chapter. <coughs> Excuse me. Peter at this stage who denied Jesus is spirit-filled now. He's a completely different person now. He hasn't been to a college. He hasn't gone off to learn anything. He went up to the room as a person who denied Jesus, as a man who wouldn't stand up to anything and say that he knew Jesus, and he's come down and he's saying all the stuff that we could have read to everybody that would listen. And we get to here to, uh, to verse 29, and he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David. So these are Jewish people that he's talking to at the time. They are familiar with David. They knew the story. That he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre or his grave is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. And seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, which has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. They observed this and they heard it because these people were speaking in tongues, as we heard of in the testimony here today. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now is asked one of the most important questions, probably the single most important question that anybody can ask in the time that they spend here on earth. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, it means what must we do? What do I have to do? What is required of me? And it's interesting, the questions that people ask is, why does God, why does God, why does God? And so nobody ever stops and thinks, what do I need to do? What are my responsibilities that I need to do towards God? And of course, this question's clearly answered here for them. And praise the Lord by the preservation of the scriptures, it's clearly there for us. It says in verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, What they needed to do, repent, and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as our Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort or encourage them, saying, Save yourselves 
from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And praise the Lord, we talk to a lot of people and we tell them this, we go out and we witness and we tell people and we talk to people and point them in the direction of the scriptures, the direction of the truth about how to get saved. But not everybody gladly receives the word of God. Oh, that's what you say, that's what you interpret. We hear all these answers. But I always question, how can you interpret that? It's just been told what we have to do. There's no grey in that whatsoever. It's quite clear and it's just such a wonderful thing that we're able to see. We're going to go to Acts 19, just on a little bit further. The Acts, of course, are the Acts of the Apostles. This is the early days of the church. This book has got no amen in it because it's continuing on. Anybody that got baptised and received the Holy Spirit today, yesterday, wherever, around the world, praise the Lord, the book of Acts is continuing on. So here in Acts 19, it says, And it came to pass, in verse 1, that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And that's a question that we ask a lot of people. We run into different ones here and there, and they say that they believe, and they say that they're a Christian. We don't invent our own questions. We use the questions from the Scriptures and ask them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said unto him, we've not so much heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. Sometimes we hear that. Other people say, yes, they have. So we continue to talk to them. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on, Jesus, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And in all there was about 12 people on this particular occasion. And that's an ongoing thing. And the wonderful part about it is that is what answers the questions. Every question that's worth asking about God, about this life, about the kingdom to come, about truth, about provision, about hope, joy, glory, forgiveness, mercy, whatever it is that we want to talk about, the answers come by being spirit-filled, by receiving the Holy Ghost. We're going to look at a couple of reasons why in just a moment and be able to see why it's essential that we have the Holy Spirit to unlock these answers from the Scriptures, to unlock the answers that God has got to the questions of mankind. Jesus asked a lot of questions. We won't necessarily go to these. If you're taking notes, just jot them down. But in Matthew 6.28, I guess the first few of these are for us that are spirit-filled. In Matthew 6.28, he said, Why take ye thought for raiment? Or he goes on talking about worrying about natural things in our life. The Lord will provide, and we found that. That's part of our testimony, is we found that the Lord provides what we need. If we look to him and we walk in his ways, things are taken care of, and it's just a wonderful uh, life that we get to live. In Matthew 8.26, he asked his disciples, Why are ye so fearful, O ye of little faith? You know, we've just been through the pandemic, praise the Lord, here in Australia and particularly in South Australia and particularly 
within the body of Christ here, we've been quite blessed and been able to be distanced by, that's a bad word I suppose at the moment, but you know what I mean, distanced from the worst of it. Uh, but certainly around the world it's been a terrible time. But we've been able to have this wonderful confidence that even if, even if it all got bad and we died, we have the answers that will rise again, of course, to be with the Lord. And in Luke 24 and 38 it says, Why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? And I guess all of us are open in the darkest of the hours and midnight and so forth and this thing that sits behind our eyes can go mad. You know, we can have all sorts of thoughts and so forth. Don't be troubled. We have the spirit. We have the answers. In John 8.43, again, we're not going to go there for time, but he asked the people and he said, Why do you not understand my speech? He said, Even because you cannot hear my word. And it was a strange thing to say because he was standing right in front of them. And we stand right in front of people too. I've mentioned a number of times, I can remember years ago, a, a brother that's in the Lord now and he's overseas in one of the fellowships overseas. But uh, Brother Angela and myself went and witnessed to them and, and continued the work, the groundwork that had been laid by others. And you're sitting there and it's like talking to somebody who's going to become a saint and a store mannequin. You know, two people sitting right in front of you One's absorbing it like a sponge and the other one's like a blank look and left and never came back again. But it's still the same words coming out of our mouth, but one of them heard and one of them didn't. And praise the Lord, each and every one of us has a choice about what we do and what we don't want to hear. In Luke 6.46, again, if you're taking notes, Jesus said, Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And we'll find if we do the things that Jesus said, if we do the things that God asked us to do, our questions are answered on all fronts and about all things that are necessary. And in eight, uh, John 8, 46, it says, Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? If, if Jesus and the word of God and the things that Jesus said and the scriptures, the Bible, if that's not the truth, then there is no truth on the face of the earth and all the people said. If, that's, if this can't be believed, then there is no point in anything. It makes no sense whatsoever that everything we can see with our eyes, all of creation, all of the majesty that's round about us, all of the wonder, it's just so you can live 70 years and end up in a pine box. makes no sense whatsoever. There has to be more. And praise the Lord, we get the answers when we receive the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Luke 11. We're going to pick it up in verse 9, but just before that, that Jesus is telling a parable about somebody that needed bread late at night. And he came and he knocked and he knocked and he knocked. Guy's in bed, but eventually he gets up and he gives it to him and some para uh, parallels are made there. But we're going to read from verse 9 as Jesus continued talking. And he said, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open unto you. For everyone that asks receives, everyone that seeks finds, and everyone that knocketh it shall be opened. And there are the three ways, I guess, or three ways that we can ask questions, if you like. It talks about asking, seeking, and knocking. And we do that to find something, find out something, get an answer to something. And we're told that if we do that, it will have a positive outcome. And then he tells this comparison. He says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, 
will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Jesus said, if you then, being evil or ungodly, unrighteous, not right with the Lord, just in your natural state, if, if even in those circumstances you give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give? And look what he says. He doesn't just say good things, nice things. Everything that Jesus had said in this passage and every other passage that he talks about how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Because the, the Lord knew that with the giving of the Holy Spirit, everything is given to us. The comfort of the truth, all of those things. We're going to look at a couple of those things now. If we go to um, John 14, that's the next book over. I'm going to read a bit of this passage here. We'll start... Uh, so this is a conversation just to set the scene, perhaps if you're not familiar with these passages of Scripture. This is a time when Jesus is uh, there with the 11 other disciples. Judas is left to, to betray him and he's talking here with the others and this is only a, a short time before he's going to die on the cross and rise again and he's telling them many things. And as I say, if they understood a fraction of this at this stage, I'd be surprised. Uh, but praise the Lord, it's all been recorded for us to understand. But he talks here and in verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I'll pray the Father that he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And Jesus was in a wonderful comfort for three and a half years, an amazing comfort. The things that he was able to do and say and provide and to put into their lives. And he's saying here, I have to go, but I'm going to send another comforter for you. He clarifies it by saying, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him for he dwelleth with you, himself, Jesus Christ, and shall be in you the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is to be given in the days to come after Jesus dies and rises again. Um, just see where we've got to get to here. Yep. In verse 18 it says, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but you see me, because I live, ye shall live also. As I say, they wouldn't have had a clue about this, but he's talking about being, being raised from the dead and the life that that brings and the life that we'll have now and the life forevermore. At that day... He's giving them a bit of clarity here. At that day, when they receive the Holy Spirit, you shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them is he that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him, make myself known to him. We often draw comparisons that if you have an infection, in your body perhaps, it manifests itself with a redness or some swelling. You get some evidence of something that's going on and that's what's talking about here, that we'll get an evidence that the Holy Ghost has come. We'll have an evidence that God has forgiven us. We'll get an evidence that the Lord now dwells within. Judas said unto him, not Iscariot, this is another Judas, Lord, how is it that thou will manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? 
Jesus answered and said, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. We'll come and live with him. We'll come and live in him or her, whichever it is, of course. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. So he's telling them these things now. He's telling them ahead of time. And here it is. This is the thing that answers all questions for all of us. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you, uh, if you love me, you would rejoice, because I said I go to my Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it come to pass, you might believe. So he told them ahead of time what was going to happen, and then it did. We read about it in the upper room. And if you're like me, I mean, I know my brothers and sisters here and, and, and our fellowships all around the place where we all uh, have shared the same experience. But if you're looking in today and, and watching this uh, broadcast and so forth and you're asking these same questions, these were the questions I was asking before 1981. These are the questions that I know my brothers and sisters here, many of them asked, and we all received the answer in the same place when we were spirit-filled. When the Lord came to dwell in us by the Holy Ghost, that's when we had the answers to the questions that we needed to know. Go to John 16, just over a page or so. This is still the same night, still the same conversation, just a little bit further on. Jesus is still speaking and he says, These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. And I guess this is the thing that separates so many people when we talk to them about the things of God, is it offends them. And I guess the question we've got to ask, it's, this is all about questions and answers, why would you be offended at grace, mercy, love, peace, forgiveness? I could go on all day. Why would that offend you? Why would that be a problem or a trouble? You would think it would be something people would rejoice in. But praise the Lord, there are those that do love to hear these things and certainly we hope that you're amongst those today. In verse 7, same conversation here. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, Jesus was saying, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And then just down in time, for time, we'll go down to verse 13. It says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. There it is. Every question that we've ever had that matters in this life, obviously not do I need a blue car or a red one, that's a bit silly, but everything that really matters in life has been answered by the, the Holy Spirit that we have within us, the capacity to be in communication with God through the Spirit and by the truth. 
and being able to read the scriptures, read the Bible and have it opened up unto us. It says, He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that's the Holy Spirit, he shall speak, and he shall show you all things to come. Let's go to see where I've got to go to here. Verse 15, yep. Uh, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father has is mine, Jesus said. Therefore said I that I shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Can you imagine that? The creator of the heavens and the universe has given everything to Jesus and he's promised to show it unto us. So every question that's worth asking about life, why, where, what's the purpose of living, you know, what's it all about, is answered by the Holy Spirit, answered by this experience. But there's no point in asking the questions unless you actually want to know the answer. You know, it's no point putting your hand up in a class or whatever and asking a question if you're not going to listen to the answer. But if we truly want to know, all the questions we can ask, of course, we'll know the answers to. We're going to go to John 3 just to finish because it's very, very important. This is early in Jesus' ministry. And this man we're going to talk about here, Nicodemus, we'll read the first bit. It says in chapter 3 and verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he was a big this guy in the land at the time, under the law, but he knew, somehow he knew that this man, Jesus, was completely different. And it says here that he's come to him by night, as we about to read about and so forth. Uh, he was worried about being seen of his contemporaries. And we'd love to, uh, to invite you, if, if you're listening in, don't be bothered by your contemporaries, your friends, your acquaintances, your family. These people can't save you on the day that Jesus Christ comes. Only Jesus Christ can save us. Only God can forgive us. Only being obedient can have us in right standing with, with God. And nobody else can do that. Just like when we have to go to school, you have to go for yourself. Other people can't go and do your learning. And nobody can go and do your getting saved for you. You've got to do it yourself. So don't let your contemporaries be people that are going to bother you in the pursuit of these matters. Verse 2, it says, And the same came to Jesus by night. As I said, he didn't want to be seen. And he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And really, it hasn't got a question mark, but that's a question. You know, he's saying, what's going on here? Let me know. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, of a truth I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's one of the most important answers that we've ever found and that you'll ever found. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see, perceive or understand anything to do with God. Don't fool yourself. Don't think you can pick up a Bible, read what you want, manufacture what you like and be okay with God. Just the same as if you go to the airport. You can't go with your Drake's dockets and get on a plane. And you cannot get into the kingdom of heaven unless we're born again. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, 
That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And I praise the Lord that in 1981 these things were shown to me and still at that point it was a wonderful story. It was a wonderful story until 3 o'clock in the morning on the 19th of August 1981 when I received the Holy Spirit, when I spoke in tongues, when the Holy Spirit came into me and my questions were answered in the blink of an eye. And they've been answered for almost the last 40 years. The questions, the things I need to know have been answered. Of peace, security, joy, everything that's required, most of all a conviction that I've pleased God in the things that I've done, the things that we're doing, and we rejoice in all of those things. So if you've got questions, please contact us. We'd love to be in contact with you and to be able to answer your questions and all the people said. 